Hello and welcome back to Season 2 of the Smart Buildings Insider. I'm your host, Lewis Martin, and my focus here at Charlton Morris is leading a global talent solutions team that delivers bespoke solutions to the smart building community, collaborating with the most exciting technology startups, as well as some of the industry's key powerhouses across the globe. In today's episode, I was joined by Christian Weeks, CEO at Emberid Systems, a leading provider in sustainable indoor air quality. One of the only silver linings of the pandemic was the shift of the real estate space and even the world's mindset on the importance of indoor air quality. I invited Christian onto the podcast to discuss indoor air quality and also his recent white paper he was a part of called How to Achieve Sustainable Indoor Air Quality. We discussed Christian's background, Emberid's founding story, the white paper, and also the four key step process to achieve sustainable indoor air quality. So without further ado, here it is. This is a an interesting topic or discussion we're going to be having today, and um, I I believe with everything that's happened during the the pandemic, it's really pushed on um, this specific topic. And for those that don't know, um, there's been a new white paper that's been released by Christian and, and some of his other industry peers. Um, it's all around how to achieve sustainable indoor air quality um but before we get there christian um i'd love for you to share with the audience a little bit more about your background and and what it is that you're doing um in your current company sure so uh, i have spent almost 15 years now in the first it was referred to as clean energy now climate tech i think is the term that many people use Uh, but that's where i've spent my bulk of my career uh working on building businesses focused around technologies that can help address this issue of climate change. Something that I'm passionate about. It's an area where I'm able to be excited about work every day and um, feel like I'm providing my family while doing something meaningful and impactful. And so that's been my focus. I spent about a decade after doing an MBA at Enernoc. Um, So Enernoc is uh, another Boston-based company uh, that is... Has, you know, was and remains a leader in commercial industrial energy efficiency and in particular demand response. In 2017, and uh, sorry, Enernoc was acquired by Enel, uh, specifically EnelX, which is the energy services arm of the large U- European utility Enel. Um, and so it was, uh, I had a great ride at Enernoc and was involved in the, the sale of Enernoc to EnelX and then stayed on for about a year or so afterwards as well. Um, and uh, helped with that transition um, and then ultimately decided I was ready for something new and different and, and found Inverit. So I've spent the last uh, three and a half years or so at Inverit and I guess we'll talk a little more about that. Okay, interesting. Um, and what is it that Inverit do? Yeah, so Inverit uh, is focused on helping buildings reduce their carbon emissions while at the same time improving indoor air quality and doing this while also saving money for building owners and operators. Um, the, we, we focus on this to, because we feel that there's a, we need to change the way buildings deliver good indoor air quality today. Because fundamentally, how we do it today is incompatible with our decarbonization goals. As some of your listeners probably know, the primary mechanism that commercial buildings with mechanical ventilation 
uh, rely on, the main method that they rely on to ensure good indoor air quality is to bring in large volumes of outside air uh, to dilute or refresh the indoor air of contaminants that build up from indoors. Um, but this, of course, is energy intensive. The more outside air we're bringing into buildings in hot and cold climates, the more heating and cooling, uh, the more air conditioning we need, the more energy we use to to deliver this good indoor air quality with sort of you know by refreshing out by refreshing the indoor air with outdoor air. So that's fundamentally, in our view, incompatible with with our decarbonization goals. And so what Inverd has come up with is a technology to clean indoor air so that we can reuse it, we can recycle it. Uh, essentially, we're able to replace a large percentage of that outdoor air with cleaned indoor air. And we do that specifically with a technology focused on removing gases contaminants from indoor air. So things like VOCs and formaldehyde and also CO2 generated by people, these contaminants are developed or you know, come from inside the building, from people in the building materials by removing these these gases from the air, we don't need as much outside air to maintain good indoor air quality and therefore it can make buildings much more energy efficient from a ventilation standpoint, which reduces carbon emissions while maintaining and in many cases even improving indoor air quality and doing it very cost effectively. So that's what we've been doing. We've been at it for a little over a decade now uh, and are in over 100 buildings and, and scaling up from a commercial standpoint. Yeah, great to hear. Um... So in, in terms of the, the, the white paper then, um, naturally, given the pandemic's impact, having sustainable indoor, indoor air quality, um, I mean, it, it sounds nice. And, and like a lot of things in the industry, it's, it's one of those topics which it sounds great, but how do we get there? Um, so, so talk me through why you wrote the white paper in the first place. Yeah, well, the... the, the... The white paper is really aimed at providing a roadmap to achieve sustainable indoor air quality. And by sustainable indoor air quality, what we're really referring to is achieving indoor air quality in a way that's also energy efficient or in line with our energy and decarbonization goals. So that's the sustainable part of sustainable indoor air quality. Uh, you alluded to it. What we found during the pandemic is that it really shined a light on the importance of having good, safe indoor air quality. Uh, and in response to the pandemic early on, the industry's main response as it relates to concerns about airborne transmission of viruses was to simply increase outside air ventilation rates, to refresh the indoor air more often with outside air, uh, to try to flush out any viruses in the airstream. And, uh, and of course, you know, that's one way to do that. But what was also, you know, what we were reminded during the pandemic is that that approach is very energy intensive. Uh, flushing buildings more often with outside air that in a hot summer needs to be conditioned, the cold winters needs to be heated um, and very energy intensive. So that was really what, you know, the pandemic sort of highlighted this issue of indoor air quality and how we achieve it and highlighted the energy associated with doing it the traditional way. Of course, now we have this climate agenda that's really center stage. As we come out of the pandemic, the climate issues become really front and center. And that's really put the emphasis on the sustainable part of indoor air quality. So we felt that there were some important lessons learned from the pandemic about how to achieve sustainable indoor air quality. We felt they're very topical because of the focus on climate change and the ongoing interest in indoor air quality. And so, as I said, the goal with this paper was really to 
highlight some of the lessons learned from the pandemic how, pandemic, how the guidance evolved and how we can have better air quality and do it energy efficiently and provide a roadmap uh, to achieve that. So that was really the goal of the paper. Yeah, no, and, and for those who, who haven't had the opportunity to read it, we'll, we'll point you in the right direction towards the end of the, uh, the podcast. Um, but you were fortunate to collaborate with so many industry leaders on this white paper, right? Yeah, we were. And uh, that was a, a fun part about this project for us. Uh, in developing the white paper, we collaborated with six other companies that are innovators in the area of indoor air quality and um, sustainability and sort of energy efficiency. And so we worked with uh, the other companies included 75F, yep. which is, has a sort of uh, advanced building control system they've developed, uh, AWARE, which is a leader in indoor air quality monitoring, uh, Auction 8, which has developed a very efficient energy recovery technology, uh, Plan LED, which has a, a upper room UV solution to disinfect uh, airborne viruses, and then Safe Traces, which has a really innovative aerosol-based technology to validate the effectiveness of ventilation and filtration systems to remove you know, aerosols from the air, bioaerosols from the airstream. So all companies that have different parts of the solution, and that's a key, I guess, point about this is the framework we offer in the white paper is not just about, of course, you know, what Inverd can offer the market to solve this issue of sustainable indoor air quality, but it's an acknowledgement that it's going to take a, a, a sort of system level approach and an integration of different technologies. And so we wanted to, to showcase that by making the project itself a collaboration you know, across these different companies and make sure we incorporated their best ideas and insights to create a robust framework that would provide a useful roadmap for the industry. Yeah, it makes sense. And, and within the white paper, you talk about different steps and, and taking uh, different initiatives at each step. So, so talk us through what would be step one, uh, ideally, from this white paper. Yeah. So the white paper really ha is, a, is based on sort of a four-step approach to achieve sustainable indoor air quality. And we call the approach sort of a, the clean first framework. Um, and, and it has four steps. The first step in the framework is to define indoor air quality targets. Um, and we think that's the best place to start because there has been a lot of discussion about indoor air quality as a result of the pandemic. And a lot of people talk about wanting better indoor air quality. But oftentimes we don't stop and define what we mean by that. And therefore it's, it's not so actionable. You know, better, better indoor air quality is a nice idea, but what do we mean? Uh, and so what the paper does is describes or summarizes the different standards that offer um, definitions of what good indoor air quality means. We start with ASHRAE's definition of acceptable indoor air quality, which is now more clearly defined based on some updates they published earlier this year. And then we talk about the LEED standard and the WELL standard and RESET standard and other standards that offer uh, different sort of definitions of what good indoor air quality means. And we ultimately offer a recommendation that is sort of a synthesis of these different standards. So that's what the first part of the paper is all about is, is you know, helping people think about how to define good indoor air quality, what metrics to use and what the target should be. 
And that, that becomes the basis for thinking about, okay, how do we design an efficient system that can help us achieve those targets, you know, most efficiently. Okay. That's interesting. And even before step one, or is it during step one where, because certain people, I mean, we've spoken about it at the start of this podcast for, for some people to improve indoor air quality is just simply to open a window or a door. Yeah. Is that before step one or are you still making people aware and, and really getting individuals head around the the process of, of actually improving indoor air quality and, and making that sustainable? Yeah. So maybe just to summarize the four steps, we'll give people a sense for yeah. sort of the, the roadmap and how it works. The first step is to define uh, what we mean by good indoor air quality. The second step then is to install air cleaning systems that can help us achieve those targets or get as close to those targets as we can first with air cleaning. And that's why we call it the clean first framework. Because generally in most cases, cleaning indoor air and recycling that indoor air will be much more cost effective way to achieve those targets than just relying on outside air. So it's setting the targets and then deploying different air cleaning systems to achieve those targets. And then the third step is supplementing the air cleaning with outside air ventilation, but not overventilating and not ignoring the, the efficiency of the air cleaning systems when determining that ventilation rate. And that's where we get efficient indoor air quality or sustainable indoor air quality by coupling air cleaning systems with ventilation that accounts for that air cleaning, gets us to those goals most efficiently. The fourth step is then to validate and monitor the indoor air quality that we're achieving with this combination of air cleaning and efficient ventilation, uh, and ideally have continuous control built in as well. And that's sort of, that's where we get the validation or we we make sure that we're holding ourselves accountable to achieving the goals we set in step one as efficiently as we possibly can through steps two and three. So I think, so we just covered how, you know, step one is about defining the the indoor air quality goals um, and, and what we mean by better indoor air quality. Step two then is about you know achieving those goals with as much air cleaning as we can because that's going to be most efficient in most cases. And so when we think about um, air cleaning technologies, we really need to focus on solutions for particles, things like PM 2.5, which is one of the metrics that we recommend people define as an indoor air quality target. We also need air cleaning solutions for pathogens which is how viruses move through the air. And they're typically simply attached to particles. So it's really smaller particles we need to be able to capture to remove the the risk around airborne transmission of viruses. But the third piece then is gases. And these gases are things like volatile organic compounds, VOCs, uh, things like formaldehyde that come from a lot of the materials in our buildings. And so when we think about indoor air quality targets, we're really focusing people on particles, pathogens, and then gases and the air cleaning solutions need to line up with that. So we need air cleaning solutions to address the particles and the pathogens. So those are things like high efficiency particle filters, uh, including all the way up to HEPA filters potentially. Those are things for, for pathogens like upper room UV, which can disinfect the air of these sort of pathogens that, that may be living in the air. Um, and so you know, we, we talk about the need for high efficiency filters. ASHRAE is recommending with, for the COVID MERV 13 or higher. Um, and that MERV refers to the efficiency of these filters. It's a standard that's used in the U.S. There's a little different standard in Europe, um, but it's a high efficiency filter that's very effective at removing particles and also moving some of these, these pathogens. 
Um, the key though is the gases piece. And most of the time buildings are just relying on ventilation air to dilute these gases. But there are technologies, and this is really where Inverit has innovated, mm -hmm. uh, sorbent-based technologies, filter technologies, you know, using sorbents that can remove these gases from indoor air. So step two is about making sure you have high efficiency particle filters for particles and pathogens, maybe adding some UV or HEPA filters if you're really concerned about the pathogens during a pandemic and high risk parts of your building perhaps. But then it's also adding the sorbent filters because that's how we control that third part of the indoor air quality equation, the gaseous contaminants. And when we have all those elements controlled with you know, these different types of filtration systems, we can then reevaluate how much outside air we need to efficiently achieve those indoor air quality goals. And that takes us then to step three. Okay, interesting. So what is step three? Yeah, so step three then is applying a part of the ventilation standard developed by ASHRAE, uh, which is you know, developed global building standards that are applied in many markets. Um, and within the ASHRAE ventilation standard, specifically standard 62.1, uh, they have two different procedures that one can use to calculate mechanical ventilation rates for buildings. Mm -hmm. There is the uh, ventilation rate procedure, which is familiar to many people. And under the ventilation rate procedure, you determine your minimum ventilation requirement based on design occupancy, how many people will be in the space, and based on the area of the, you know, the size of the space. And you have these two components in the ventilation rate procedure because you need to control for the contaminants coming from people but also the contaminants coming from the space. The ASHRAE standard has another approach called the indoor air quality procedure. This is also part of standard 62.1. And the big difference between the two is that the IAQ procedure is performance-based and it allows you to account for the benefits of air cleaning that we've deployed in step two. So step three is about optimizing the ventilation rates for efficiency and what we recommend as part of step three is that we apply the indoor air quality procedure so that we can take credit for the air cleaning that we deployed in step two and thereby come up with a more efficient ventilation rate and that and really unlock that sustainable indoor air quality. So pairing air cleaning technologies with a performance-based ventilation uh, calculation that allows us to take credit for the air cleaning, that's where we get the efficiency gain and move away from just relying on more outside air to improve indoor air quality. We can rely on the layered strategy that includes filters, different types of filter technologies for different types of contaminants, and then you know, supplementing that with as much ventilation as needed to make sure we hit those goals. So when you look at both of the ventilation rate procedure and then indoor air quality procedure, when you're, do you tend to, to use both or do you have a preference in terms of what works most for your buildings? Or your clients buildings yeah. for so we primarily work with the indoor air quality procedure because in order to get credit for deploying sorbent media-based filtration technologies to help improve indoor air quality to get credit for that from an energy standpoint if you need to use the indoor air quality procedure the ventilation rate procedure doesn't what it doesn't do is it, it doesn't allow you to claim a credit or benefit from your air cleaning. It, it defines that, it prescribes that minimum ventilation rate just based on area and occupancy, ignoring any sort of air cleaning. So when we're deploying our air cleaning solution, we're typically 
deploying it with the IAQ procedure so that the, the owner um, or the designer can claim the credit from an energy standpoint of deploying the, the air cleaning solution. So then step one, two, and three done, we, get, we move on to step four within the white paper, um, ultimately the, the, the final step during this um, indoor air quality procedure. So what, what happens now? What would you expect to happen now? So the fourth step in this clean first framework, once we've defined our IAQ targets, we've installed the air clean to address the different targets that we've come up with. We've, we've made the ventilation as efficient as we can accounting for the air cleaning. The final step in the approach then is to validate that we actually implemented the solution is, do, is achieving the targets that we set out in step one. Um, and that can be done with testing you know, post-occupancy once the building is up and running um, if we're going to, uh, many of the, the programs for indoor air quality energy efficiency, like the LEED programs, the WELL programs, they actually require that you go in and do testing. So that's fairly standard, and we've incorporated that into the fourth step. So the first step is to validate the design is doing what we uh, intended. But we go a step further then. In fact, we go two steps further. We suggest not just doing the validation, which is required by many of the, the different standards that people are using, but we also then recommend in deploying continuous monitoring. We don't want to just know it worked on day one. We want to make sure the design is continuing to deliver the targets that we set. And so deploying continuous monitoring, uh, doing that, referencing standards like reset, where there's a new UL standard to help guide people in terms of how to select uh, sensors that are reliable for the contaminants they're trying to track and how to make sure the data is reliable and actionable. So deploy continuous monitoring as part of this, doing it, you know, following the best practices that different standards have laid out. And then ideally, you know, the very best practice is not just to have continuous monitoring, but to actually integrate that with your building control system so that you can actually take action, ideally in an automated fashion, to optimize how these air cleaning systems and these ventilation systems are functioning to make sure we're always achieving those IAQ goals and doing it most energy efficiently. And the actions one might take, you know, might include adjusting ventilation rates based on occupancy or based on changing in outdoor air conditions. You know, in, in cities, when in the hot summers, we have these ozone alert days when ozone levels are higher. Well, on those days, we might want to bring in less outside air and rely more heavily on the cleaning systems we put in place. Same might happen during a situation where we have wildfires outdoors. We don't want to bring as much outside air. We want to lean on those air cleaning systems. Uh, we might want to adapt uh, based on, so we talked about weather, based on outdoor air conditions, based on occupancy, there's different uh, adaptations we might want to make. Um, and ideally that can be automated and can be responsive to what we're seeing in the data that we're continuously gathering around where we are from an IAQ standpoint and also you know, from an energy standpoint. So that fourth step is really about validating first, but ideally then adding continuous monitoring and better yet, integrating that monitoring with your control system and creating some automation around different sequences based on what's happening with indoor air quality, outdoor air quality, occupancy, uh, these other factors that help us achieve sustainable indoor air quality. That's very interesting. Um, and to, to put it into practice, can we talk about a case study that either you've done or that you've referenced in the white paper that goes through each step and the benefits of taking this sustainable indoor air quality approach and the benefits it has? The white paper is really the first time we've laid out sort of a holistic uh, system level approach that incorporates all these elements. 
Um, and we're seeing more and more sort of the market looking for that holistic sort of system-wide solution. Um, and, and, we've, and we've done a number of projects where we've implemented many parts of these. Um, one of the examples we offer in the white paper is a project we did a couple of years back with the University of Miami. Mm -hmm. um, and this was an existing building uh, scenario where they had a wellness center um, and they had some concerns about the indoor air quality uh, and they wanted to improve it, but they wanted, they had tried to improve their air quality just by bringing in more outside air, but they had run into capacity constraints on their systems based on the sizing. Uh, and they also quickly recognized that while they could increase outside air somewhat, it was very energy intensive. This was a, a project we did in Miami and Florida. So of course, in the summertime, it's very hot and also very humid. So increasing that outside air becomes very you know, expensive and energy intensive. So they were looking for an alternative approach. How can we improve indoor air quality, but do it without this energy penalty that comes from just relying on outside air ventilation? Uh, and so they essentially you know, uh, adopted this clean first approach. And what we did with them was really start at step two. They knew they wanted better indoor air quality. Um, what we did with them is add in sorbent filtration. They had the requisite, the required particle filtration. They have their MERV filters. That's great for the particles. Um, we added the sorbent filters uh, that Inverit has developed to address the gaseous contaminants from indoors, you know, from their space. And by controlling for the particles with the existing, you know, MERV filters, and now also controlling for the gaseous contaminants, we could then shift their ventilation rate from a VRP or ventilation rate procedure, you know, calculation to an indoor air quality procedure calculation that gave credit for the sorbent filter technology they deployed and essentially reduce their outside air requirement under the building code by 75%. Wow. And we reduced it by 75% while at the same time improving indoor air quality. So that's really a, you know, the value proposition here is we replaced 75% of the outside air with cleaned indoor air. And the result of this, and these results were independently verified by NREL, the National yeah. Renewable Energy Lab here in the US, the result was that they were able to uh, reduce their uh, peak HVAC capacity by 41% and reduce their total HVAC energy consumption by 36%. And by the way, at the same time, their VOC levels went down, their CO2 levels went down, their formaldehyde levels went down, and they had less part particulate matter coming in from the highway just outside this wellness center. So that's a great example of you know doing steps two and three and then step four the validation putting in the filtration the, the sorbent filtration uh, optimizing the ventilation rate and then doing the post sort of installation measurement verification to validate the results with NREL in this example so we got three of the four uh, steps there and in many other cases we're starting with step one but that's a good example where we hit most of the steps in the framework well i think you've been quite modest it's a, it's a fantastic uh, example um like anything, that there, there can be some challenges with adoption, whether it be indoor air quality, IoT, uh, even energy efficiency, um, which can be a low-hanging fruit, or that's what some people say in the industry. Um, what would you, what would you say is the biggest challenge? Let's say if we're focusing on building owners and operators, what is the biggest challenge for both of those? So I think there's a couple. Uh, if we're going to focus on building owners and operators, there's a big focus on how do we help them decarbonize their buildings, uh, and at the same time, of course, they're trying to um, 
make sure that they've got you know, real estate assets that are marketable and they're trying to be responsive to growing concerns and awareness around issues of indoor air quality. So the framework should speak nicely to them. Um, but in a retrofit concept uh, where we're going to existing buildings and looking to apply this framework, um, we need to help them understand the trade-off that can be done around, you know, just relying on outside air ventilation uh, and, and uh, you know, shifting that framework to a framework that still relies on some outside air ventilation, but also accounts for the, the benefits of installing uh, air cleaning solutions. So there's a bit of a paradigm shift, um, you know, there's, and there's a bit of, um, you know, education that needs to happen around what are these different contaminants in the buildings and how can they be controlled? And then showing them the proof points and the case studies from the prior projects to, to validate the results. So there's an education piece for sure. The other piece I would say that the industry as a whole is struggling with and wrestling with, and, and I saw this, you know, even at Enernoc before coming to Inverid, is when we retrofit existing buildings, we often run into these split incentive issues, where the owner is responsible for the, the capital costs in the building, but when there's a benefit on the energy bill, that typically, you know, goes to the tenant. And that's, you know, a result of these triple net lease arrangements and or, or you know, referred to as the split incentive challenge. We still see that as a challenge. Um, and we need to continue to work with the industry on, on innovative ways to break down that split incentive issue that unfortunately um, slows the adoption of some of these innovative technologies that do require some capital cost up front. Uh, in our case, they can have a payback of you know, three, four or five years, so it can be very compelling. Um, but nevertheless, you know, we talk to owners sometimes who say, well, that sounds great, but you know, why would I spend money on something to save my tenants money? I need a way to recover that. There's more and more, I think, happening around that to address that. And as we look at markets like local, you know, New York City with Local on 97 and Boston with Berto 2.0 that are imposing additional costs on owners associated with their carbon emissions, that's creating more uh, pressure and helping improve the economics for these projects. But we need to keep working on this, this split incentive piece because it is certainly slowing adoption of, of technologies like this. What about the Inflation Reduction Act? So there's some really great things in that. We're, we're excited that that sort of came back from the ashes and, and has finally been, been uh, pushed through. Um, there's a couple things in there that we're really excited about. Um, one item is that there's a, a lot of money in that to help um, states and municipalities update their building standards uh, and codes. Uh, we still see codes from 2010, from 2015, older codes. Um, that have been updated by ASHRAE and the uh, international um, ICC, the, the people who do the, the sort of the, the international codes. Um, many, many jurisdictions are far behind. And so there's, we're glad to see there's money to help them update their codes, come in line with the latest uh, standards and codes. And in particular, there's a big emphasis on net zero, you know, stretch, you know, these stretch codes that can help people um, reduce their, their building emissions. So that's a great, that's uh, a piece of the IRA that we're really excited about. Um, we're excited about all the funding that's available to the GSA to make their buildings uh, more efficient and deploy technologies like those that are uh, recommended within this clean first framework that we've developed. Um, there's some money in there to help schools deal with you know, issues of resilience, um, outdoor air pollution that's impacting the quality of the indoor air in schools. Uh, we think there's a really interesting angle there to help make schools and buildings in general more resilient to polluted outdoor air by making them less reliant on outside air to refresh indoor air by using air clean technologies. 
So those are some of the sections of the IRA that, that we're particularly excited about that we think will help move the, the needle forward in terms of achieving goals like we define, you know, like, like uh, sustainable indoor air quality. Well, um, in terms of this white paper then, um, we've naturally discussed it at a 10,000 foot overview, uh, but it should provide interesting context in terms of maybe taking a closer look and, and spending some time actually reading the whole white paper. Where can people find that, Christian? I know it's, I know it's out now, but point people in the right direction so that they can take a look in more detail. Sure. Well, um, you can find it on, on social media if you look up Inverit or any of the other companies that I mentioned. But the, probably the easiest way to access it is to go to uh, the landing page okay. we created for the white paper. And that is whitepaper.inverid.com slash sustainable IAQ. And Inverid is spelled E-N-V-E-R-I-D. So it's whitepaper.inverid.com slash sustainable IAQ. You can find the white paper uh, there. You can see an abstract and the summary of the recommendations. Um, and I'll just point out that we were privileged and really enjoyed working with these other six companies on this project. Um, but we also were had input. We had 15 uh, independent building experts review the white paper and help us refine it. People like Bill Banfleet and Dr. Marwa Zatari uh, and many other uh, engineers, you know, mechanical engineers, energy efficiency consultants have a look at this and help us refine the framework and the recommendations. So uh, we feel like it's something that uh, can be very uh, Practical, actionable, is well grounded in the science and the, the current best practices, pushes the envelope perhaps a little bit. Um, so we would love for people to have a look at it and we would love feedback because we'll continue to refine the framework. We'd love to collaborate on actually deploying it in the field and bringing together the different companies that were involved and others um, who can help uh, assemble the solutions that can achieve sustainable indoor air quality. So have a look and, and let us know what you think and how we can work together on it. Yeah, great stuff. Um, and just before we look to wrap up this episode, um, let's talk about Enverid and, and also the future. What can you tell us about the next, let's say, 12 months of the company's future and not necessarily future, about plans in terms of moving forward? We have come out of the pandemic stronger than we've ever been as a business. And I mean that in terms of the um, we've expanded our product offering. We've established new partnerships with uh, these other companies who worked with us on this white paper, but also partners who can help with our distribution and, and bring this technology to the market more broadly. For example, we're working with Daikin Applied, who has integrated our technology inside their rooftop units mm -hmm. and their air handler units. So that's a great example of, of a new partnership. And there are others that we have ongoing as well. Um, and so, uh, you know, the work that we have done on our product offering, making it more applicable for more types of buildings, the partnerships that we have formed and are continuing to develop, you know, these are internal things. At the same time, the external market forces are, are stronger than they've ever been in terms of the emphasis on indoor air quality, on, on climate change, these issues of resilience we talked about with the schools a moment ago. Um, these are really driving interest in this. So we're excited. We've got a lot of momentum. Um, I'm looking forward to doing more work with you as we need to, to add resources to our team. We're doing a bit of fundraising now and, and um, have uh, ambitious growth plans for 2023. So exciting future ahead for us as we continue to grow our business and build out our team. Yeah. Well, poised nicely yeah. for 2023. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, so 
Final question, and this is a ritual on the Smart Buildings Insider. Um, and we've had some great answers to this question from the likes of Maureen Ehrenberg, Don Goldstein, um, Raina Wellage, Prasan Kale. But uh, the, the question is, um, what's the best piece of advice you've been given during your career? I think that it's, hopefully it's not too much of a cliche, but I think it's to find your passion and then follow that. Um, you know, I I've had a point in my career where coming out of business school, I had two options in front of me. One was much more lucrative financially and would have been very stimulating intellectually. And the other was spoke much more to my passion and wanting to really, you know, do well and do good to make an impact. Um, and I fortunately made the decision to pursue the less lucrative, but more, you know, passion oriented um, option that I had in front of me. And it was the right one and has reinforced that as a key lesson going forward. I think when you find something that you're truly passionate about, you're not just trading time for money, um, you're, you're engaged in what you're doing and as a result will do better work, um, have better results and that will propel your career. And in my case, you know, I've more than made up for what I could have gotten in the short term financially by being excited about something and having a big impact and, and doing well at the same time. And um, so that's my, that's the advice I got. And that's what I would love to pass on to others is figure out what you're passionate about and, and pursue that. And, you know, as long as your needs are met, I think actually in the long term that'll be the more lucrative path as well. Love it. So being, having, being mission driven. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's the gist of it. At least that's what sort of keeps me motivated. Likewise. Um, well, Christian, it's been great having you on the podcast. Uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed it. And, uh, for those listening, please do go check out the white paper. Uh, we'll put a link into um, the, the end of this podcast so you can go find it. Um, but uh, yeah, once again, Christian, thank you for your time. Thank you, Lewis. It's great to be with you. So that was my chat with Christian Weeks, Chief Executive Officer at Enverid Systems, a leading provider of sustainable indoor air quality solutions. I'd like to thank Christian again for his time and the insight he provided on indoor air quality and breaking down his white paper and the four-step framework. I hope anyone who is interested in any of the points we discussed during the podcast today gained some valuable insight from the episode. For plenty more chats with industry leaders and the innovators within the smart building space across the globe, subscribe to the podcast on your favorite streaming platform today. Thanks again for listening. I've been your host, Lewis Martin. Bye for now.